If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And today we are continuing on our series in Ecclesiastes that we're calling The Life life Under the Sun, and we're in week five in this series. And every week we are simply meditating on different portions of Ecclesiastes and reflecting with the preacher on the various topics and the various themes that he himself is bringing up. And today we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes 4 and reflecting on the theme of loneliness under the sun. So please stand with me as your act of worship. For in our standing, we read and receive God's holy word as it is uh, his gift to us and the life that we need. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning with verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and please be seated. And would you join me in prayer once more? Father in heaven, we are thankful for every perfect gift that comes from your hand. And we are thankful for your word, which is a gift given to us. For by your word, we receive spiritual life. By your word, we are comforted. By your word, we are corrected. By your word, you counsel us and you lead us. And I pray in this hour, in this moment, as we hear now your word, that you would give to us your spirit. The spirit who inspired your word would be the spirit who illuminates our hearts to understand this truth you have given to us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Recently, many studies and reports have been coming out that are reporting uh, people are experiencing more loneliness than ever before in human history. And of course, the irony of that is we live in a moment of time when through digital platforms and social media, we are a society more connected than ever before. And yet people are experiencing uh, much more isolation and alienation and uh, loneliness. And they're calling this the loneliness epidemic. And it's true. It has very real physical consequences, mental consequences, emotional consequences, and even spiritual consequences. Uh, But at the end of the day, all of this research, all the statistics and the data is just affirming what God himself said at the very beginning of creation. When he made Adam and Eve, or he made Adam and he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then, of course, he created Eve. The reality is that it is not good when we as God's image bearers are alone. And yet, Loneliness plagues so many of us. Uh, Many of us may not feel the loneliness as anything palpable in our lives, but when we slow down long enough for the distractions and the busyness of life to go away, loneliness often lingers around. It creeps into our souls. Now, we just celebrated Thanksgiving this past week, and for many, the holidays are precisely the kind of environment by which we feel and are more aware of the loneliness that we struggle with. 
Uh, sometimes it's because you have nobody to spend the day with, nobody to share a meal with, nobody to celebrate with. Other times you find yourself in the presence of many people, surrounded by them, and yet you feel no kindred spirit, you share no genuine intimacy, and you lack any true connection with the people around you. Now, in our current 2020 year, you take the loneliness epidemic, which is very real, and then you take the coronavirus pandemic, which is forcing people to stay isolated and away from others, and you add those two things together and the result is nothing pretty. The result is that there are a lot of people suffering and struggling, isolated, full of fear and worry and anxiety. And so much of it, very sadly, is silent. It's unnoticed. These burdens are carried alone. Now, even if you're an introvert, uh, you may say that you enjoy being alone. And to a degree, that may be true that you feel more recharged when you're by yourself and more spent and exhausted when you're with others. But even if you're an introvert, you are not exempt or immune from loneliness. An introvert simply means that your threshold to deal with loneliness is higher than others. If you put the most introverted person on a deserted island, it really won't be that long until you are befriending volleyballs and naming them Wilson. Why? Because as God has said, it is not good to be alone. Now, it's very important that we understand God's diagnosis of the human condition because it means this. Feeling lonely, wrestling with loneliness is not a sign of weakness or inadequacy. It's a sign of your humanity. Let me say that again. Right? Being lonely, wanting to know and be known does not mean that you are weak. It means you are simply human, right? Our experience of loneliness is not something God condemns, but it's something that he comforts with the counsel of his word. And so what does the Bible have to say about loneliness under the sun? And to that, we turn our attention to today's passage. The preacher begins with a story, an anecdote. So look with me at verses seven and eight, where we read this. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. The preacher begins to tell a story about a man who has given his life to work. This is a man who is diligent and determined. He's ambitious. He's a goal getter. And as a result, he saved up quite a bit of money for himself. He's amassed a lot for himself. But that's exactly the problem, according to the preacher. It's all only for himself. The problem is that this man has nobody to share his riches with. And when he passes, he will have amassed this small fortune, but there's no one to leave it for. He has no brother. He has no son. And in the ancient biblical culture, for a man to have no brother or no son meant that you were totally alone because a brother or a son were the two most significant relationships that any man could have in his life. And so here is a picture of a man who's sitting amidst the company of all of his comfort and money and luxury. And yet somehow he is sitting still so alone. When the preacher says about this kind of life, a life without relationship, a life without friendship, a life without companionship, 
that it is a life of vanity and vapor. He calls it an unhappy business, an empty existence, an unfulfilled life. The man has all the money to enjoy all of life's greatest delicacies and drink its finest wines, and yet he finds himself in his mansion eating a hot pocket by himself, standing up on a paper plate. He has all the riches to line his personal home with the greatest of art collections, and yet his walls are empty and bare, for he has no one to enjoy them with. The preacher is speaking of a man who is incredibly alone. Now remember, what we're saying here is that experiencing loneliness is not an indicator that there's something wrong with you. It's a reminder that you're human. You're made as God has intended. We need to understand this about ourselves, about one another. When you're driving and your fuel light comes on telling you that your car needs gas, you don't pull over and pity your car, complain that it's needy, complain that it's weak. Your car was made to use gas. That's its design. In the same way, when we feel lonely, that's simply an indicator. You were made for community. And that's exactly the point the preacher's going to go on to explain because then after diagnosing the man, telling the story of a man who's wrestling with loneliness, he goes on to explain in verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And this is a very famous verse and a very famous expression. It's a passage often preached on at weddings. It's found in uh, love songs and you can find them quoted in a lot of romantic cards. Uh, But you must know this to clarify, and I want to bring this up from the very beginning. In the original context of Ecclesiastes, the preacher is not speaking about marriage specifically. You you see, you you need to clarify this because the preacher is not saying that the one relationship that's going to fix all of the loneliness in your life is a romantic one, right? That's a lie that we need to be careful of. And unfortunately, um, many people have bought in, imbibed this lie And therefore, they've chased after romance and relationships at such great cost because they believe this one uh, thing, this one specific type of relationship will fill the void in my heart. And so at great cost, they neglect God. They compromise uh, their morals. They hurt themselves. They hurt others because they're living in the lie that, oh, two are better than one romantically. And therefore, I will only feel complete and I'll only be whole once I'm married, once I have a boy's affections, once I have a girl's eye, once I'm the object of someone's desire, once I'm dating, once I'm engaged. And so we chase after these kinds of relationships to plug the hole in our hearts. But the preacher is not describing dating or marriage as a solution to loneliness. Verse nine is speaking about the necessity and the centrality of being in relationships with others as opposed to trying to live life alone. That's his point. And we know that this passage is not directed to marriage because if it was, right, if it was, then the Mormons would have a great case and argument for polygamy because what does it say in verse 12? Three is better than two. (laughs) The more wives, the more wives. No, that's not it at all. (laughs) To understand the preacher's point, You need to pay less attention to the exact numbers and more to what those numbers represent. Two is better than one. Three is better than two. Why? Because community is better than being alone. That's the point. 
And in verses 9 to 12, the preacher is going to go on to give specific examples. He's going to list out his experiences of the ways in which he has felt how two is better than one. And so he gives that list. Let's look at verses 9 to 12. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And you can see how the preacher is probably speaking out of personal experience, that he's been alone and cold and long for the desire of a companion to keep him warm. He's probably fallen before and needed the help to get up. He's probably been bullied and ganged up upon and wished there was someone so that they could stand with him. And you can fill in your own examples because you know this is true in your own life. You have plenty of experiences and scenarios and circumstances that you found yourself in where you wish to yourself, boy, I really wish there was another person here with me. You know, last year I started uh, going to the gym. And one thing I quickly noticed there is that 95% of the people who are working out are working out alone. And they prefer it that way because it's more convenient. When you work out alone, your workout is much more efficient. It's much more focused. There's less distractions, less things to waste your time. But every once in a while, those who are working out alone uh, have this reminder that they wish somebody was there with them. And for most people, it's often when they want to, what we call maxing out. They want to lift as much as they can. uh, And so they wish there were someone to spot them, someone to uh, watch over them, to help them in case they need the help. You know, myself, I experienced in the midst of working out the the wish and the desire for someone else to be with me. It wasn't because I was maxing out. It was, this was in the first week of working out and I was doing a dumbbell workout while lying on a bench. And after I finished, I put the dumbbells to the side and I was laying on the bench and I tried to get up. But what I realized is that I was lacking in core strength, Uh, that what I didn't have in abs, I had in flabs. And I sat there unable to get myself up. And the only way that I got up is I had to twist over, lean over the bench, fall on the ground on all fours and then pick myself up. And in that moment, I realized that the preacher's words are true. Two are better than one not just in the gym, but in all of life. And you can fill your own experiences because we've all had experiences where we know it's true. We need another. And so what the preacher is doing here in verses seven and eight, he's saying, it's not good for man to be alone. And then verses nine to 12, he's saying, the remedy to your loneliness is the gift of human relationships. See, Ecclesiastes is doing something very important, showing the nuance and the depth of Scripture's teaching on this. Because the preacher is saying this, by emphasizing the necessity of human relationships, he's saying that as important as the vertical is, as much as God is sufficient and is the answer to all things, it's God who created us with the need for horizontal relationships. And therefore, to ignore horizontal relationships is to dishonor the vertical relationship. You see, you may sound super spiritual when you say, I'm not lonely. God is all I need. But you're missing God's point because God has made you to lean into others and lean on others. And the Bible is full of these examples. Let me give three of them. The first one, we need to go all the way back to the garden. So the garden of Eden. And in Genesis, there was Adam and there was God. So then how is it possible that God would look at Adam and determine that it's not good for him to be alone? 
Didn't God walk with Adam in the cool of the day? Wasn't God supposed to be enough? And yet something about that situation means that God looked at Adam, saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone and determined, I will create a human relationship for him. And in creating Eve, God first established the principle two are better than one. Establishing the reality that we all need horizontal relationships. Consider with me this other example, not the Garden of Eden, but a thousand years later, we find ourselves in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And there we have Jesus, who is anticipating the most difficult and darkest moment of his life. That in the garden, he knows that there's a cross ahead of him. And on the cross that he will bear the weight and the guilt and the shame of sinners like you and me. And that in response um, to God's uh, judgment against that sin, he would receive the wrath of God for our sins in our place. Now, Jesus Christ, the very son of God, experienced eternal fellowship with the Father from eternity past to eternity future. And yet Jesus, interestingly, still insisted that his three closest disciples go and pray with him. Jesus, in this most desperate hour, didn't want to be alone. And so in his desperate and dire hour, he confessed to them, saying to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And you would think, shouldn't the Father be enough for Jesus? After all, Jesus in his life, hadn't he prayed so many times alone and isolated and set apart from people? Weren't there instances where Jesus went off alone praying and people were frantic because they couldn't find him? Yet in his sorrow and in his suffering, Jesus didn't want to be alone and requested that his friends stay up all night with him. This is the humanity of our Christ who understands the centrality, not only of the vertical, but of the horizontal. Let's look at a third example. The Apostle Paul. We find him in the Mamertine prison as he's awaiting his execution And nearing the end of his life, Apostle Paul writes to his spiritual son, his child in the faith, Timothy. And this is what he expresses, knowing that he's going to be poured out as a drink offering, knowing that he has fought the good fight, knowing that he's finished the race, looking at his impending death, he writes two seemingly opposite and contradictory things, and yet they're not. On the one hand, he writes this in 2 Timothy, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Now see, on the one hand, Paul knew God was enough for me. When no one else came to my side, when no one else came to my aid, God was with me. That was enough. Thank the Lord he strengthened me. And yet with the same pen, he writes just a few verses later, requesting Timothy these two things. Do your best to come to me soon. Do your best to come before winter. Yes, God is enough for me when I'm alone and I'm about to die. God is enough. He strengthened me. But come to me. I miss you. I want to see you. I want to be with you before I pass. You see, the Mamertine prison is Paul's Garden of Gethsemane. And confronted with his pending death, Paul seeks the company of his spiritual son. Because Paul knew that it was not good for him to be alone. Paul wasn't thinking God's not enough for me. Paul's thinking, I believe God when he said two are better than one. You see, what we see from these three snapshots is the reality of loneliness under the sun. 
but we also see that the experience of loneliness is not an expression of human weakness or of sinful emotion against God. It is simply an indication of our humanity as God has made us. What the preacher is saying in Ecclesiastes 4 is not some new spiritual truth. God's remedy to our loneliness was always to enjoy and experience relationships with others and intentional and intimate community. That is how he has made us. And this means that the answer to our loneliness is never what our human tendency uh, is toward, to withdraw yourself from others. But the answer is to lean outside of yourself. Lean on others. You see, the solution is never to buck up and endure and suffer quietly, as I venture to guess so many of us do. The solution is to humbly realize that other people around you are God's ministry to you. I mean, think about the very nature of the gospel and its vertical, horizontal effect in our lives. In the gospel, it's the good news that God sent Jesus into the world, that he came, Jesus came into the world to draw near to people, to draw close to people. And in his coming, Jesus then promised us that he would be with us by his Holy Spirit. And so John, or, so John's going to record for us in John chapter 14, these words of Jesus. You know him, that's the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he's able to say in Matthew 28, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What the Savior is promising is that by his spirit, he will be with you. So you are never alone. The spirit ascended into heaven so that the spirit, so the Son ascended into heaven so the Spirit would descend to earth so you would never be alone. And that's good news. That's the promise of the gospel. But the gospel doesn't end there because the vertical isn't set apart from the horizontal. Because by his Spirit, when Christ unites his people to himself, promising you will never be alone because I am with you by my Spirit, he also simultaneously unites the people of God together. That he takes us he creates a, a, a community of fellow saints, sinners, and sufferers. And in our union to Christ, we are then united to one another. So then just as much as it is to say, in your loneliness, the remedy is Jesus Christ, it is also true to say, in your loneliness, the remedy is the people of God. The community that God has wed you to, united you to. And that truth then means two things for us, two practical things. The first is this. Receive the ministry of fellow Christians. Receive the ministry of fellow Christians. Right? This may speak to some here more than others. But if you wrestle with loneliness, if you feel alone, if you've tasted a bit of what the preacher is talking about here, first of all, you need to know that your loneliness is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign that there's something wrong with you. It's not a sign of spiritual immaturity. Therefore, it's not something to cover up or to keep hidden, or to silently bear by yourself. If you are feeling lonely, the answer is not to withdraw from others and withdraw into yourself. The answer to loneliness is not to chase after a certain type of relationship. The answer is not to fill your loneliness by trying to busy yourselves with distractions, throwing yourself into things that keep the feelings at bay. It's not to begin to chase after idols. You know, idols may keep you busy for a while. They may keep you company for a while, but they make awful lifelong companions. 
what you need to know is this. There is strength, not weakness, to confessing to others that you are lonely and you need them. True weakness is being needy and being unable to confess your need. And so if this is you, if you are wrestling with loneliness, I encourage you to be humble and honest about your need for the ministry of the spiritual community through which Christ ministers to you. And if this is you, seek it, find it, invest in it, commit to it, prioritize these kinds of community and relationships. Because that's how God has made you. God ministers to your loneliness through the presence of others. Now, second, be the ministry to fellow Christians. You see, you're not always going to be the one who is wrestling with loneliness. Some of those who are hearing this may not wrestle with it at all. But that doesn't mean Ecclesiastes 4 doesn't apply to you. It still applies to you. Because you may not wrestle with loneliness, but you might be called to be somebody else's second or third cord. God may be giving you the opportunity to lift up another who has fallen because by the grace of God, you're standing up. God may call on you to keep somebody else warm. God may call on you to stand alongside somebody so that another would not prevail. The question for us is, are we willing? Are we willing to step up as God has called us? Because the preacher's words, they're not just a comfort to the lonely. They are a challenge to others. And the reality is that in this congregation, I know I'm sure that there are those who are struggling with loneliness. And God might desire to minister to them through you. He might be showing his presence to them through your presence to them. He might be showing his face to them through your face to them. The question is, do you have eyes to see those who are struggling with loneliness around you, and do you have the heart to minister to them? Not to withdraw because they're inconvenient. Not to ignore them in the hopes that out of sight, out of mind. But to move toward them as God's answer, God's ministry to their struggle. Now, I'll close with this. When God tells us two are better than one, sometimes this means you need a second person in your life. Sometimes it means you're the second person somebody else needs in their life. And the reality is we can only be this type of community, this type of church, because Jesus has graciously united us to himself. And in uniting us to himself, he's united us to one another. And in that grace, as that grace is working in us and that grace is working through us, we then do our very best to make sure that there is no member amongst this community who experiences the vanity of loneliness under the sun. Rather, by the Spirit of God working in us, we do our very best to make sure people are experiencing the ministry of the very present Son, the one who draws near. Would you pray with me?